Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Yo, what's good, my people? It's Pastor Jay Harris from The Ville Church. Thank you so much for uh, jumping on this uh, online sermon this morning with us, with The Ville Church. We are in a series in Colossians, and, um, and we have been rolling through. We're in chapter 2 right now. And, um, man, I'm just happy for y'all to jump on this text. It's been so rich or whatever. I don't know if you know about Colossians, but the Apostle Paul, he wrote it from jail, right? So he's actually, these are his letters from jail. And in this particular um, chapter, he's writing to the Colossians at Colossae. He's writing to the people at Laodicea and all the other churches that he actually leads or whatever and stuff. And I think knowing about the context of where he's writing from, makes a big difference on how you understand the text and just the deepness of it. You're in a jail cell writing this letter. You don't spend your time writing nothingness when you're in that situation or whatever. But he says some amazing things um, that tell us so much about the heart of God. And I've been excited for the Ville Church to be able to travel through this text. And I'm glad that all y'all that are abroad and listening to this online sermon get to do it also. So today we're going to be inside of Colossians 2 and we're going verses 1. We're going verse 1 through five is what we're going to be in and here's the thing i've already preached this text before so you might be like if you've been rocking with us you might be like yo hold on you almost you already hit that it's certain texts i've been getting caught up in in colossians that like i can't really escape them it's like i preach them and then i'm like uh, i got to come back this i've already done that just since starting in chapter one and that's not normal for me it's just been happening in the book of colossians and there's so much rich stuff and so i'm going back to this text it should be pretty short and quick or whatever and stuff but like it's good and i want us to get it right i'm gonna be particularly talking about this idea of like of gossip plausible arguments and how we use our mouth or whatever right the way we use our mouth not to glorify god and how it affects the body of christ or whatever but here's the thing let me read the text to you and then we're gonna get into this thing right he says for I want you to know how great a struggle, this is Paul talking, I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, that's going to be one of our main points today, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. That's our text for today, right? So y'all ready to rock? Let's do this, right? So he says, he starts off or whatever. He makes this statement in verse two. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God, God's mystery, which is Christ. So he's saying that this knit togetherness in love is what is a catalyst for reaching all the riches of full assurance and understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Our knit togetherness as the body of Christ, as believers, as followers of Jesus, in love, as God defines it, is what contributes to our assurance, to our confidence, and to our firmness 
and our stance on how we know and understand and have an intimacy with Christ Jesus, right? In Revelations 4, 8, it talks about, it talks about the, the uh, it says that it says these creatures with six wings and eyes all over their bodies. It says it fly, it flies, they fly around the throne of God all day long, right? And they just go, holy, 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 right? That he who was, who is, and is to come. They're seeing all of these perspectives of God, and the beauty of it is so all, you know, awe-inducing awe on them that they're just saying, like, holy, holy, holy. They're just flying around with all these eyes, and as they behold in all of these different things, they just blown away by them or whatever, right? You know, I don't know if you have kids, then you understand this picture also or whatever. Like when you have a baby, something about baby breath or whatever and stuff. And I know it's not the same as God, but you uh, you, you understand the awe factor in some sense. We, we find it as humans, not like what these creatures are seeing by any means. But we can look at creation, but in our depravity or whatever, we act like we're not even in awe by the sun, but what in the world is the sun, right? And the moon, and this air we breathe, all of these awe-inspiring things that are around us, whatever. You look at our babies or whatever. I know every time we have a baby, I'll just be like, I cannot seem to take in the amazingness of it, right? Can't seem to take it in. Paul in this text is doing something similar to what I just ran down on you. He's saying, being knit together in love, he says, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Our togetherness in love is something that we should circle around. And it should cause us to say, holy, 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 holy. Not because we are holy and perfect, right? We are holy because we're children of God, but we're a mess, right? And we're always stumbling. But God in all of that stuff, when we actually walk in love, despite the wretchedness of our sin, despite it, it keeps revealing the beauty of Christ. You get the picture? So like we'd be like, yo, we don't want to deal with the body in the church sometimes because people and dealing with people is hard. And if you're honest about yourself, looking in the mirror and dealing with your own mess is hard, right? Then that's going to be a part of what we're getting into today or whatever. But like Paul is making a very profound statement that being knit together in love is, is, a, is a part of the components that God uses to reveal his son, Jesus, in a way that we end up feeling utterly rich and we are fully assured about that richness and the understanding and knowledge that's revealed. It happens in our togetherness. So all that messiness that you hate dealing with or whatever, God actually has in there to actually build you and grow you. Can I tell you something about, about knit work? Anybody who knits will tell you this. Anybody who understands fabrics, anybody who understands rope and weaving of things together, right? The things about things that the thing about things that are knitted together is that you really don't cherish the design until they have some tension on them, right? A rope is cool, but hang off the side of a building, and when you gotta hold on to that thing and find out how well that knit work is together, then you're gonna be like, thank God for this rope, right? When you basket weave something you put stuff in it the reason people use the weave technique is aesthetically beautiful but it also functionally and logistically comes together in a purpose and in a way that when you put too much in it it locks in and holds the weight knit work is made for tension sustainability longevity 
security. And it's aesthetically cute, right? It's just a bonus. But you get where I'm coming from? God has made it that when the people of God are knit together in love, when the tension happens, the beauty of Christ's love for us, who he is, what God was doing through Christ is revealed in the tension. I don't know if some of you ever had a falling out with somebody or whatever, or a conflict with somebody, but you handle it in an honest way. You're vulnerable, you tell the truth, there's repentance involved, and you end up with a, be a better friend on the other side. Some of my best friends are people I had my worst tensions or conflicts with. And because by the grace of God, we're able to function in love, the knit got tighter. The knit proved itself. You understand what I mean? It wasn't the ripping of it to pieces. It got tighter. And what I left with was like, my God, some of the worst situations I've had in life, I'm like, God, I didn't think I could make it through this one. But I found out that when the tension hits, the knit holds harder. When you trust the people of God, when they praying for you, when they whip you in the struggle, right? When you're in the company of good counsel, when you're with people who, will, when you when you got to admit failures and they'll, and they'll give you grace, they'll point you towards Jesus and they'll also hold you accountable, the knit starts proving to be strong. But it says we're knit together in love. So it's not this idea that we romanticize, right? This love that we're talking about when it says knit together in love, that love is something that Jesus Christ, that God has, that that love is Christ. But God has the patent on it. Nobody in the world, I don't care what you see on TV, I don't care how many Hallmark cards you see, nobody knows what love is. Only God knows what love. And his son, Jesus, is the embodiment of love, right? It's the embodiment of love. Love is filled with tension. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient, it's kind, love does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Don't turn, don't romanticize this. Patience is hard. Offering kindness to somebody who's making you impatient is hard. We live in so much vanity and boasting and so many different things and arrogance and rudeness. Somebody thinks something of us, we want to pull up in certain cars to shine on them and show them who we are, whatever. We are so drunk off of vanity and so many things that are the opposite of love. It's foolishness for us to act like we actually can just take love and harness it all in our own. Like, no, we need the power of God because the love only comes through the power of God. Love is Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for people who did not deserve it. That's what he takes and frames love in for us, which is, which is opposite of our flesh that is selfish. And so when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, the structure of it all has to do with dying to ourself because our flesh loves ourself and it's all about us and will trample other people for itself at all times. And God, through Jesus, is giving us a new heart that is not made of stone, but is actually alive in him. So being knit together 
in love means that our knittedness is actually propelled and perpetuated by our love for Jesus Christ. By us coming before God and saying we are your, ch your, your children and walking in obedience to him. Letting him define love. And in my grace, let him empower us to walk in it, right? Not just a task list to go act, because we will stumble at that. But, but being in awe as we choose love and our togetherness and watching God do something beautiful with, beautiful with it and reveal his son more and more to us. This is the picture he's painting. Such a beautiful picture. I don't want you to miss it. So this love he's talking about, it has tension to it. That makes the knit better. The pain is going to be hard pills to swallow about yourself and about others. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, you know what I'm saying? But it's not going to always feel life-giving. It's just the truth of the matter. It's not going to always feel life-giving, right? You ever try loving someone that has an addiction and seems like they're just bound for destruction, like no matter how much you try to help them? God knows what it's like. That's how he feels about me and you. You stop for a minute and just be honest about your own sin condition. Maybe you ain't out here executing everything that's ill and crazy, but the Bible says it's, 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 sin, it's sin in the mind or whatever, right? You look at somebody the wrong way, lusting after them, then that's fornication. So God deals with, he judges our heart different. He knows what's in our heart. We can cover it up and put a pretty face on it, but he knows what's in our heart. You understand what I mean? But God, still, the Bible says his mercy is made new every morning. He is giving us love and mercy and grace through Jesus Christ because our sins fell on Christ Jesus on the cross. That's what God was doing. He was releasing his wrath on Jesus. The sin, the wrath that we deserve, but he's releasing it on Jesus so we could actually walk free. Let me keep on moving here. That's that love. You didn't took. I, I, I don't. I don't. I didn't took a little rabbit trail, but let me keep it moving and grooving, right? So he says that their hearts. I'm in verse two of Colossians two. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's in Jesus, and this knitted togetherness. Is, is essential in it, in revealing Jesus. So the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge come out in the tension that we have in our togetherness. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So he makes this exclamation mark about knitted togetherness in love in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Something I want to go at about these plausible arguments. Contextually, what we know that's happening here is that there is the church of Colossae is dealing with this uprising and mumbling or grumbling of um, of heresy that is happening. Right? This 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 I don't, it hasn't spread through because he's not dealing with them like he dealt with the Galatians. But he he is hearing a little word about some threats or whatever and some things and some and some tension that's happening. And if you peep it, it's one of the reasons why you can see in the conversation or whatever, in the conversation or whatever, there is this thing. He is talking about, 
our actual togetherness. Because although the plausible arguments, we know how plausible arguments work, right? Because hold on, let me let me give you a little little understanding. In Greek, plausible arguments means, and, and I didn't work the, I didn't get the pronunciation of this, but I'm actually going to try it or whatever and stuff. It's pithanologia. P-I-T-H-A-N-O-L-O-G-I-A. I usually go and get the pronunciation so I could tell you, but I missed that one. But it means persuasive language in simple terms, right? Paul, so Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you or deceive you with pervasive, persuasive language. This persuasive language starts in the mind as a thought before it actually is spoken. So whether it's heretical, but what it does to unknit the church is it ends up being gossip against the church, against the body, what the church believes, and then it turns into gossip and us using our words to devour each other and undoing this knittedness. Gossip is in the framework of it. It's in the framework of it because here's the thing this knitted togetherness in love and i made it very clear for you this love part is in it's it's full of tension it's full of hard stuff love is not that we all agree with the same thing and we skip up the street and there's never any hardships or whatever and stuff you're going to be in church some people going to treat your kids a certain way they're going to move different this and that we all in here a bunch of people who are being saved and sanctified by the grace of god and we're going to stumble and trip all over each other and there's going to be a million opportunities for offense in the matter and how you deal with it is going to be everything how you deal with this is gonna be everything. So the number one way that we always go, whatever that, excuse me, one of the ways we always go, not the number one way, but a way that people find it easy to go is actually to lean into gossip, to mumbling, to grumbling against somebody else, whether it be the church corporately or whatever it is. But that gossip at the end of the day is nothing but bad theology as well. We don't always think about these plausible arguments this way, but like it's really just persuasive language. And when we're talking about it, we always think theology, theology. But when somebody is actually whispering in your ear and they're devouring another person who is a follower of Jesus Christ or just a human made in the image of God altogether, they are actually devouring that person and they're speaking and acting like a theology that says that that is okay is actually fine and actually stands against God who tells us to love each other and be knitted together in love. You get where I'm coming from? It, I think this is important because we read stuff like this and we get so theological that we only make the framework of the conversation about some rogue, crazy theology. And in doing so, we end up making our gossip like this cute little pet that we can actually play with, even though it has sharp, sharp teeth and is so effective at chewing through the knit and ripping it apart. People, when they start whispering to you and causing dissension and division and all of these things, they're making plausible arguments in your ear. You where I'm coming from? Church, I don't want you to be deceived about this. James 4.11 says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Don't criticize one another. Don't criticize. There's something else you can do. 
you can actually pray for the person. You want to know something? I'm going to keep it real with you. Since I started working on this text, I am, I, I, it's despicable how much gossip I've caught coming out of my mouth. And, and, and the way that I have a way to be able to make it seem like, you know, like, 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 no, no, we're just discussing or whatever, this and that. But I'm like, nah, that crossed into a line. It actually fulfilled my flesh to criticize this person. That's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's something that I've been having to repent of in this. What I realized, right? I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read something that's from Psychology to Today. Um, from an article they did from June 24th, 2021. But like, why do we gossip? And the answer is very true about me. It's what's wrong with my flesh. It's the sinfulness of our flesh. And I want you to have an intimate understanding because you need to be intentional. Like, gossip feels good to me. I like it. it. It feels like it does some things for me to get it off my chest. And it don't feel that bad. It feels reasonable. But God says it's not reasonable, and it actually is more effective in tearing apart the knit. And it spills up good quality time. You could be praying for somebody, right? They said this right here in, in, in Psychology Today. It says, if knowledge is power, gossip is turbocharged power. In order to display their power and reinforce their egos, people share the, in, the information with other individuals. Gossiping comes naturally and most of the time occurs almost unconsciously to break up the monotony of routine activities or simply spice up conversations. It's effective for us. And our, and our, it, it, it becomes a natural part of the way we move and groove conversationally. It's a part of our depravity. So what I'm telling you is that you want to walk in the light with that and put it for God and pray for God to give you something different to replace our addiction to gossip. God, let us turn and let us pray for people. Help us do that. Help us to pray for other people, Lord. Replace that crap coming out my mouth talking about people. Our flesh love God, loves gossip until we're the target of it. That's the flip side of it. Feels good coming out of you, but it doesn't feel good coming on you. But how forgetful are we about that? Right? It is the enemy's way of undermining the church. Listen to what God says in Galatians 5. He says, for you were called to be free. Brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve, there it goes, one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we dish out that gossip, but we hate when it's dished back on us. So if we're being obedient to this right here, to this command, love your neighbor as yourself, then we won't gossip. We won't gossip because we don't want that on ourselves. In verse 15 of Galatians 5 says, but if you bite and devour one another, Watch out or you will be consumed by one another. That consumed and that devouring, that's the unknitting of the church. That's plausible arguments being made against each other. That's, that's persuasive language. It's bad theology. It's heresy. 
it's hatefulness. I, I want you to feel it because I want you to begin to loathe it. See, the beautiful thing about us as Christians, God, he tells us in John, he says, if you say you are not, you don't have sin, it says you're a liar. But if you walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus will free you from all sin. The blood of Jesus will wash you clean, right? So you don't have a problem, you got an opportunity. People who don't have Jesus as an answer, they got a problem. They got a problem. You have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. So he says, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm gonna wrap up with this right here. I wanna tell you how remembering Christ helps us remember the cost of gossip. If you read inside of Revelation 3, it talks about the church of Sardis. And the church of Sardis, it says the church of Sardis was known for being alive. People in the streets, everybody know, know their church for being alive. But God tells them, he says, he said, but you are dead. He says, you're known for being alive, but you're dead. And he says, remember. I got, that word just rings through my head all the time. Simple. But he tells them to remember as a prescription to their deadness. And what he's telling them to do is to remember the gospel. Church, we need to remember what Christ has done. And we need to remember the word of God as a means to empower us, to keep our heart alive. Because what happens with why we're able to dish out gossip, although we hate when it's dished out on us, is that we don't remember what it feels like. We don't remember to be on the other side of it. The same way we don't remember what it means to be lost and then be found, to be dead in our trespasses and to be now be alive in Christ Jesus. We have gospel forgetfulness. Let me read a scripture to you. This is Luke 7, 38. I wanna show this to you in the text. It says, this is talking about the lady who, um, she, she, she was, you know, she broke the box of, uh, the alabaster box or whatever on Jesus and anointed her feet. It's this story, but I'm starting down in the story or whatever, right? It's Luke 7, if you wanna go back to it. Starting with verse 38. And it says, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed five de 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. He tells him you judge rightly, but this wasn't about rewarding Simon. He was actually condemning the acts of Simon. And he was actually bringing to the light his sin because Simon was judging this lady. But what Jesus was making a point about was Simon's forgetfulness. Simon has, doesn't have an awareness about the mountain of sin and wretchedness that is, that is on him, that he will be judged for. He doesn't have an awareness. But this lady 
is fully aware. Simon's judging her. She's like, I know what I've done. And I know who I'm standing in front of. I haven't forgot. I, I remember the death. So I cherish the life. That's why the alabaster box being broken. Right? She knows she had more than 500 dinars. Simon just thinks he had a couple little infractions here or there. He's blind to his sin to a holy God. This isn't about walking in condemnation. This is about walking in the freedom of Christ Jesus. This is about a contrite heart that when, that when we gossip about someone, it hurts. It's not that we're above the gossip. But we feel it. It comes out of our mouth when we're like, oh. I got a mountain. I got 500 denarii. How am I going to criticize them? How am I going to devour them? Because if somebody's going to get devoured, I need to be the first in line. But Jesus, he lavished me with mercy and grace. I'm going to lavish this person. I see their shortcomings. I see their failures. I see it, but I'm going to lavish them with what Jesus gave to me because I deserve to get devoured too, but mercy and grace. Let me show it to you real quick, and I'm going to end with this. Hebrews 5 says this. This is verses 1, it's verse 1 through 3. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men, and church, I know you say I keep reading this scripture, but this is one of the ways I keep remembering. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can gently deal with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. In the Old Testament, the high priest, when he would go in to give a offering for the sins of the people, they put a rope around him and a bell because if the bell stopped, the, the, the presence of God was so holy that if he came in plain, wretched with sin and lying before God, he would fall dead the bell would stop ringing and they would know and they would have to use the rope to drag his body out. The problem wasn't that he had sin. The problem was a decision to actually hold the sin instead of bring it in to sacrifice for the sin. So this guy has to come in and he don't got room to play. He has to come in and lay it out before the Lord because his life was on the line. Now think about what it was like when he went in and laid it down and then when he walked out. Many of us, we go and repent for our sins and we, 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 we pray and we say, God, I messed up. I made this, I, 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 I kind of jacked this up. And we repent, but we still walk out condemned. That right there is it, it, 
or stop your bell from ringing back in the day. Because what it is is a statement is that we don't believe God is sufficient to cover our sins, which is a sin. This high priest goes in and he, he when he walks out, he knows that 100% that he has been washed whole and made clean or there isn't any walking out. So he knows God has avalanched him with mercy, grace, love, living water. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? But he remembers because it says he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. He lavishes them with the mercy he has, he receives, because he doesn't forget this mountain of sin. He has an intimacy with the sin he has to lay before the Lord, and he has an intimacy with the mercy and grace that he's received. He is remembering it. That's my word to you today, church. I pray that you remember before you open your mouth to make plausible arguments, right? That are negative and against God and against the people of God, against your brothers and sisters with gossip, with criticism, devouring each other, letting the devil use you to unknit God's people. Our togetherness, it's sacred. Walk around it and say, holy, 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 and move in love and watch God reveal his son Jesus to you more and more and more. You are free to confess and you are free to repent. We do not muscle our way through this. This is why I say stuff to you. I like gossip. Because the only way I'm going to overcome gossip in my life is by telling God the truth. It feels good to my flesh. It feels good to my ego. It, it does all of these things that are intimately so ugly and evil, but it is against you. God, save me. God, heal my heart. God, cause me to remember. Don't cause me to be like, so help me from being like Simon and thinking that I'm all up here and here and I can criticize and devour somebody else. No, Lord, I want you to save me from my sin. That's why Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And then he says, Jesus. He makes this admission and goes straight to thankfulness in one statement. That's how you punch the devil in the face. That's how you deal with them. You walk in the light quick and you rejoice and you thank God even faster because he's already answered the problem for you. And he is going to save you as you lean in with faith, as you walk in the light, as you remember the gospel, right? And John, they said, Lord, what, 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 what do we need to do to be in your kingdom? He said, yo, he said, he said what, what do we need to do? What, what, what work must we do? He said, the work is this. Remember the gospel. That's the work. It ain't the task list. It's remembering the gospel. It will set you free. But remember it. Remember it in the midst of the gathering, in the midst of the knittingness. We'll see how beautiful Jesus is. All right. I'm gonna go, I could talk, talk your ear off all day or whatever, you understand what I mean? 
It's a beautiful text, all right? Colossians 5, excuse me, Colossians 2, and we're in 1 through 5 today is what we went through. If you want to go back and go through there, but that being knit together in love is something to sit and, and, and stand on and the way he sets it up against being deceived with plausible arguments or whatever. Pray that this hits you today. Pray that you're encouraged. It's the Ville Church. I love you. If you want to find out more about us, you can go to theville.church. If you feel led to give, you're not required to at all, but if you feel like you want to give to our ministry, then please, um, we, we pray that you do that. You can do that at the website at theville.church, and then you go to the Give drop-down, and you'll be able to do all of that there. We thank you so much. Please keep praying for us. We're in the middle of looking for a building to purchase right now. I have some meetings coming up, all that kind of good stuff and, um, and whatnot, and we are praying for something specific. We ain't trying to go be in a building and buy a building and just be there on Sundays or whatever. We want a place that we can put a coffee shop that operates six, seven days a week, something where youth and people can gather, have community, uh, get to know each other, right? Care for our community, have meetings about what we can do to actually empower people in our community, help them pay for their homes, purchase their homes, build finances, love their kids, get married. We want a space that does it all, but we want that joint popping seven days a week. We ain't buying no building to be in once a week. We ain't with that. So we're praying for a specific thing in a, in a specific and strategic place. So please keep us in prayer with that. I love you. Thank you and God bless you.